Morning, everyone. Uh, thank you, David. Uh, if you have a Bible, could I invite you to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 8? It's page 973 in our Pew Bibles. And just as you do that, let me ask you a couple of questions. And they are this What are you currently afraid of? What are you currently afraid of? Or what is it that's going on in your life at the moment that's causing you to fear? And the second question is this, if you are in a, a scary place at the moment, how is your faith? How is your faith? Is it strong? Is it weak? Do you have a lot? Or do you have a little faith? Are you full of faith this morning? Or are you full of fear? In today's text, we're, we're going to encounter some people, some Christians, who found themselves in, in a frightening situation. Their fear levels were high, and their faith levels were low. And if you're here this morning, and, and you find yourself in a similar place, then in the words of a current popular artist, don't be too hard on yourself, no. But as we look at this incident in Matthew 8, let me also encourage you, because as much as I don't want you to be hard on yourself, and as we start this and as we think about faith and fear, it's easy to kind of beat yourself up. But I don't want anyone to do that. But at the same time, I do want to encourage and challenge you, if you're in that place, to refocus on Jesus and discover and learn to trust him more. So, let's stand for the public reading of God's Word. Matthew 8, and we're starting at verse 23. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Grab a seat. Three weeks ago, we... Uh, introduced this new series, Treasure the Questions, where we're going to explore some of the questions that Jesus asked in, in Matthew's gospel. And the question that we're going to look at today is this, why are you so afraid? But there's actually a second question to consider. It's one the disciples asked in, in verse 27, which is this, what, what kind of man is this? Two questions. And the thing about both these questions is they are relevant to every single one of us. And so how would you this morning answer those two questions? Take a moment. How would you answer them? Let me track the story. Jesus has just been speaking about the cost of discipleship. If you've got a Bible open in front of you, just glance to the paragraph above the one we've just read. You'll see that he's been talking about the cost of discipleship. 
And he's responding to someone who asked him, listen, Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you go. And one disciple, as part of this conversation, wants to go and bury his dead father first. And Jesus turns around and says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead, which sounds harsh. Like it sounds really harsh. But the issue here had to do with stalling, wavering. This guy did want to follow Jesus, but he wanted to follow Jesus in his own time and on his own terms. And unfortunately, it it doesn't work like that. And then we get to verse 23, where it says that Jesus gets into a boat, and I'm quoting, the disciples followed him. The question is, I wonder was that particular disciple one of the ones who jumped on board? Or did he turn and walk away and go and bury his father? True disciples follow Jesus no matter what the cost or no matter what the inconvenience. But as we all know, The thing about that is that it often leads to real challenges and real adventures. And therefore, it's not entirely surprising to read that suddenly a furious storm kicks off. You see, life with Jesus is rarely plain sailing. And no one ever said it would be. Jesus certainly didn't. And this was a serious storm. And in fact, the word that Matthew uses here is seismos which actually or literally means earthquake, implying that some mighty force had suddenly stirred up the placid Lake Galilee into a total frenzy. And there is this line of thinking that sees this incident as actually another attack of the powers of darkness, that Satan is involved in this freak storm as he tries to undermine the mission of Jesus and play havoc with God's fallen created order. And I know we've got to be careful not to become preoccupied with the devil or to give him too much cred for a lot of the mess that we see around us. But you know something? We can't rule him out. And we can't write him off every single time. Sometimes earthquakes, etc., may be the evil-intentioned attack of Satan upon humanity and upon God. And in a week, whenever we have seen the damage and the mayhem that can be caused by earthquakes, if nothing else, we are reminded that we do live in a fallen world and things are not the way they're meant to be. Horrible things happen. But they won't forever. So there's this furious storm, this seismos, Here is Rembrandt's famous 17th century painting of this scene. It's called The Storm on the Sea of Galilee. And I, I I know it's maybe not clear to everyone, but Rembrandt powerfully captures the huge swell and the thrashing waves that threaten that little boat and threaten the lives of every single person who's on it. 
And you can see some of them there hanging on to the boat for their dear lives, trying their best to lower the sail. And down at the bottom of this picture, at the stern of the boat, and as I say, I know this is hard to see on the screen, but as Jesus. And around Jesus, the bottom of this picture is almost this sense of calm. And according to the end of verse 24, despite the furious raging storm, Jesus is asleep. And the disciples can't process this. They can't get their heads around it. Here they are on a treacherous lake, scared, witless, even though some of them are seasoned sailors. And Jesus, the one that they have followed, the one that they've given their lives to, the one, the one that they have jumped on board with, he's fast asleep. He's seemingly oblivious to their situation, to their fear, to their danger, to their peril. And I know I've got to be careful not to push this too far, but you know the question I want to ask you this morning is this, what is your treacherous lake? What is your treacherous lake? What is your difficult situation that feels uncertain, that feels scary, that feels life-threatening, life-altering? What is it that you are facing and dealing with that seems that it's going to overwhelm you, that it's going to shipwreck you? Is it a difficult relationship? Is it a broken relationship? Is it a breaking relationship? Is it a health scare? For you or for a member of your family? Is it a relentless temptation that just won't back down? Is it an uncertain future? What is your treacherous lake? That you find yourself on this morning and you're scared. And the fear levels are high and the faith levels are low. And as Christians, one of the hardest things to deal with when you're in that place is the feeling or the perception or the reality that Jesus is asleep. We're going through the mill. We're clinging on for dear life, certainly clinging on for spiritual life, and it feels like God is nodded off, that God doesn't care, that God doesn't understand, that God doesn't actually know. He's lost control. And for the disciples, it it didn't just feel like that. This was actually happening. Jesus was asleep. And so they do what anybody would expect them to do. They wake him up and they cry, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. In Mark's version of the story, it includes the rather pointed line, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing here? Do you ever feel like that? Where the waters are getting choppier and choppier and you're wondering, do you know something? Does God actually care? Now before we rush to what happens next, I think we need to note a couple of things. The first is that they did turn to Jesus in their hour of need. And that in itself is vital. Granted, they were at the end of their tether and their options were limited, but at least they still went to Jesus. And secondly, they obviously believed he could save them. 
he was their hope, and okay, he was their only hope, but their only hope was in this boat. Their only hope was in this mess. And again, if nothing else, I want to suggest that this moment and this picture acts as a reminder that even in the difficult circumstances of life, it's important to know that Jesus hasn't jumped ship. It may feel like he's asleep. It may feel like he doesn't care. But he's still there. He's still available. He's still able to save. Now when Jesus awakes, his immediate response isn't exactly sympathetic or comforting. He starts with a statement that leads into a question. You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Now, at one level that question seems weird. Like, Jesus, take a look around you. Take a look. Can't you see the danger we're in? Does this not look scary to you, Jesus? We're we're seasoned sailors. We've been out in this lake before whenever a storm has kicked, but this, we think we're going to die here. And you're, you're saying this, why are we so afraid? And for many of us, that's our response. We're afraid because this, and whatever this is for you, whatever your treacherous lake is at the moment, this does not only look frightening, doesn't only feel frightening, this is frightening. And surely it's natural to be afraid. And like us, the disciples are only human. This immediate situation, this storm is terrifying. So why does Jesus ask them such a strange question, a rather unsympathetic question, especially given the comment that he preempts the question with, you of little faith. After all, these guys are in this boat because they're following Jesus. They have faith in Jesus, at least to some extent, to some level. So why, Jesus, the seemingly harsh comment and strange question? Well, as we attempt to take a kind of closer look at this, let me rewind for a moment. Let me recall one of the things that Jesus has said to his disciples recently in the so-called Sermon on the Mount which, remember, occupies Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. Here we are in Matthew 8. So it must have been recently. We don't exactly know the time scale, but it must have been still ringing in their ears. And what had Jesus spoken to them about? Those of you who were here last Sunday will know this. One of the things he had spoken to them about was not worrying. He had referred to the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, making the point that God was taking care of them. So how much more could he be trusted to look after them? And even as Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount at that time, he did speak to them about their faith levels. And yet here they are, pretty soon afterward, Jesus is saying, don't worry, how can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And here they are, pretty convinced that they're going to die. And that actually, 
God doesn't really care. And so they say, Lord, save us because we're going to drown. And I wonder why is this why Jesus is slightly disappointed. He had spoken into their lives. They'd heard it. They'd believed it. But when it mattered, when it was put to the test, what happened? They buckled. They lacked faith. They panicked. They got scared. But who wouldn't? How many of us sitting here this morning know and believe that God will never leave us nor forsake us? We've read that. We've heard that. We believe that. We know that if a sparrow falls to the ground, God notices. He even numbers the hairs on our head. We know and we believe that God cares for us and therefore we should cast all our cares on him. We, we know that, we believe that. And yet when the storms come and when the waters churn and when the ground shakes and when the skies get darker, who doesn't get scared? Afraid. Panicky. Who doesn't feel their faith stretch to the point where it feels like sometimes it's going to break? Don't be too hard on yourself. Even the first disciples freaked. And they had Jesus physically with them. Even if he was asleep. But although that's worth saying, I don't think I can leave it at that. I'm not sure I can simply use the disciples' lack of faith and their fear to justify mine. I've got to push into this a bit further. Because I think Jesus was actually wanting to call his disciples on. He was wanting to use this moment to teach them to teach them more. It's a bit like Peter walking on the water incident. Do you know Peter is doing fine until the wind and the waves stir a bit and then he starts to panic and he starts to sink. And what does Jesus say to him at that point? Why do you have so little faith? And why do you doubt, Peter? And so what, what's going on there? What's going on here? Why is Jesus pushing this? Why does Jesus say these kind of things and ask these kind of questions? Why does he seem to be a little annoyed with his disciples? And maybe the critical issue is relationship and trust specifically. You see, the disciples' reaction to this storm and Peter's reaction to the wind and the waves ultimately calls into question their relationship with Jesus, their trust in him. You see, whenever I say I have faith in someone, whenever I stand up here and say, listen, I have faith in Jesus, it means a number of things. It means I rely on him. 
It means I depend on him. It means I trust in him. And to have faith in Jesus implies a whole range of ways that we actively relate to him. It's the language of relationship. As someone has said, faith is a living, dynamic relationship that is more akin to trust than anything else. Jesus is possibly impatient with his disciples and his followers' lack of faith because it really comes down to this. We don't trust you. We don't trust you in this mess. It's okay when things are going good. It's okay when the water is calm. But you see when it all kicks off and churns up, becomes treacherous, we don't really trust you, Jesus. And maybe it's not so much that Jesus is frustrated, it's that Jesus is hurt. We often use the words belief and faith as if they are synonymous, but they are different, and the differences matter. As one writer put it, faith isn't believing without proof, it's trusting without reservation. And let me try to illustrate this a bit further, and you'll have heard something like this before. Imagine you're watching some high-wire, tightrope artist walking between two buildings and there's no safety net and he walks it and then he maybe even cycles it and he skips it and you come to believe, you know something, this guy can do almost anything and then the person who is hosting this event, the MC, the announcer, the presenter, he then asks the questions, how many people believe that this guy can now cycle across this wire carrying someone on his shoulders and along with everybody else he go, yeah, I believe he can do it, I've seen him do what he has done, I believe he can do that and then the MC turns around and says, right, hands up if you want to volunteer to jump on his shoulders. And the question is, do, do you keep your hand up? Well, you see, the difference between belief and faith is the difference between dropping your hand and keeping it in the air. Ultimately, faith is not just about believing certain things. It's about putting your trust in someone. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is this. Do you trust Jesus with your life? Do you trust Jesus with your life no matter what? In every circumstance or only when it's going well? Do you know, at times our faith and our trust is strong and at other times it could be so much stronger. And so, for example, we sing as we will do in a moment. We sing, Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, lead me where my trust is without borders. Where we ask God to help us to trust him more, to trust him without limits, without reservation. Are we up for that? Like, are we really up for that? Can we sing songs like this with integrity? Can I? I know it's my favorite song. <laughs> but can I sing it with integrity? And the disciples' faith in Jesus, their trust wasn't great at this moment. And so Jesus challenged them. But you notice he, he didn't then roll over and go back to sleep. He got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and immediately everything becomes calm. Jesus didn't just watch Peter sink without trace. He reached out and he pulled him back above water. 
And you know, our little faith or our lack of trust doesn't mean that Jesus writes us off or walks away or falls back to sleep. He is with us always to the end of the age and then some. But in the meantime, he calls us on to learn from the storms, to go deeper in our faith, to develop and to discover greater trust no matter what. Now in saying that, Jesus does not expect his followers to trust that he will calm every storm. I need to say this this morning. Because there's some people sitting here And stuff has kicked off in your life. And the lake has become treacherous. And Jesus has calmed that storm. And there's other people sitting here this morning. Their hearts are breaking because they've gone through something where Jesus didn't calm the storm. And so Jesus does not expect his followers to trust that he will calm every storm. And he didn't calm every storm in the life of the disciples. This wasn't the last storm they found themselves in. There were more literal storms. There were more storms of inner turmoil, storms of rejection, storms of physical violence. Jesus doesn't step in and immediately calm everything. And he never said he would. But you know what he does long for? that we will trust him even if that storm never calms. And so where are you this morning? Are you afraid? Are you panicking? Are you lacking faith and lacking trust? Or are you feeling faithful in the midst of mess? Back to Rembrandt's painting and I'm nearly done. I know we've got to have communion. Back to Rembrandt's painting. Let let me zoom in a little, and I've tried to do this on the screen. See, there's almost two scenes depicted here. So to the left, to the bow, the sense of dread and the sense of panic and total fear. To the right, to the stern, as I've said, there is this sense of calm. Let me zoom in even closer. Do you notice the character? Oh, you can't see this guy here, and I know it's not clear on the screen. This is actually Rembrandt. I don't know how many of you know this, but Rembrandt painted himself into this painting. That's why there are 14 characters on this boat, as far as he was concerned. 12 disciples, Jesus, and him. And where has he put himself in this painting? Right on the border between the bow and the stern. Right between the panic and the calm, between the fear and the faith, between the terror and the trust. And so the question I'm asking you this morning is this, where where would you paint yourself into this? Where do you find yourself this morning in your circumstances, in your storm, on your treacherous lake? You full of fear? Feel as if you're clinging on for your dear life? Shouting, Lord, where are you? Why are you asleep? Are you going to save us? We're going to drown here. Or are you full of faith? Trusting in Jesus. No matter what. And so as we close, I've got to close with a second question. Because after Jesus rebukes 
the wind and the waves. And as I say, some people think rebukes the enemy's attack. Everything goes calm. And the disciples turn around to each other and say, what kind of man is this? And slowly but surely, the disciples are discovering more and more regarding the identity of Jesus. And maybe this is primarily what the text is about. See, as Jesus calms the storm, what he does here is he demonstrates identical sovereignty over wind and waves that is attributed to Yahweh in the Old Testament. Psalm 104 verse 7 reads, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. Psalm 106 verse 9 says, God rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up. In Matthew 8, on this lake, in this boat, Jesus reveals a little bit more about who he is. Human, yes, absolutely. That's why he's wrecked and needs to sleep. Fully human, but also divine. And so he rebukes the wind and the waves because he is God. And if we link this together as we close, the question of trust and whether we trust Jesus in the storms of life is significantly influenced by your vision and understanding of who Jesus is. Because you see, if Jesus is who he says he is and who he has proved himself to be, then like like the disciples, we must, we can stand or kneel or bow, amazed is what it says in our text. In awe, in worship, in submission, in trust. Why? Because the someone that we trust is none other than God Almighty.